Hi there and welcome to the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. I'm Will Green, the business editor at the Guernsey Press, and I'll be bringing you regular panel discussions and one-on-one interviews exploring the big issues and key themes affecting business in the bailiwick. On the first episode, I spoke to three local leaders about the island's prospects as we hopefully move out of the worst of the pandemic and how the G7 deal on tax might impact our flagship industry. So do check it out if you missed it. This week, though, our focus is on the economy at large. Kevin Bosher is my guest. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Investment Services Group Ravenscroft. We spoke about where the global economy is heading, what big issues he's keeping a close eye on, and how Guernsey fits into a fast-changing international picture. Hi, Kevin. Hi. You're the Chief Investment Officer at Ravenscroft. The world seems to be a completely crazy place at the moment. You're an expert in investment uh, and economic matters. What are the big ticket issues at the moment, would you say? The, say the three or four big ticket issues. Okay, so I think, firstly, the world economy is, is in pretty good shape, actually. Uh, it is, we're having a strong economic recovery as, as economies reopen post the pandemic. There's powerful pent-up demand. There's lots of savings out there. Governments are busy spending lots of money. Central banks are keeping interest rates near zero and printing lots of money. Global trade has picked up. Consumers are spending. So all aspects of economic activity are firing on all cylinders at the moment. So, for example, UK, US projected to grow over 7% this year, over 5% next year. So powerful economic recovery um, is is the first the first most important theme. Um, the second most important theme, I think, is is for investment markets, certainly, and for the global economy, is is the topic of inflation. And that is, we've definitely seen a, a pickup in inflation numbers in the short term over the last few months. And to a large extent, that was predicted, because last year, when economies were shut down, there was a big deflationary impact as spending effectively in investment stopped so we're simply 12 months on we're getting the base effects of that big drop falling out um, which is is leading to this increase in inflation and as I say most people expected it having said that it has surprised on the upside in the US in particular uh, and there are some people who fear that what we're seeing short term becomes a much longer term trend and problem. And the last time really the world had to worry about rising inflation was back in the 60s and 70s. So that's going to be a major issue for the global economy and markets going going forward. And I guess the third factor is the geopolitical scene. Um, there's always plenty to worry about on that score. Um, but what we're, you know, what we're seeing between China and the US and indeed China and Europe and everywhere else, it's not just about um, trade, global trade. It's about the fact that China is genuinely challenging the US as a global military, economic and technological superpower. Uh, and, and actually China probably comes out of this pandemic in a much stronger position relative to the US. Um, and so this is very much a long term thing, thing at play here. Uh, as well as all the usual geopoliticals, uh, geopolitical situation in, in the Middle East, um, which is having an impact on, on the oil price. So I think those are kind of the three key factors. On the whole, we're in a very positive place for the global economy and for investment markets. But as always, there are plenty of things to worry about. And you talked about there being a, an uptick in the economy. For Guernsey, if there's a fair wind blowing in the UK and the US... 
does that mean we're going to benefit economically here? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we we will tend to, the correlation of our economy to that of the UK and to that globally is pretty high. Um, finance is our key industry um, and, you know, f- finance is, is a key industry globally. So, and finance tends to do well when economic activity is, is improving. Um, so I think Guernsey is in a reasonably good position um, with some caveats on that. I, I think certainly I'm positive on the UK post post-Brexit and post-Covid for a number of reasons. Um, and I think as if the UK, the UK is emerging from, the, from Covid really strongly, thanks largely to the vaccination programme, but also thanks to the fact there's a lot of pent-up savings demand there because the UK has lagged pretty much since the Brexit vote in 2016. So with, with Brexit behind us as well in the rearview mirror, although there are some technicalities to sort out, um, you know, I think the UK looks in good position. We should be able to benefit from, from that. But also financially, the fact is that although growth is picking up, there are many factors that mean that long-term growth for developed economies such as Europe, UK, US, remain fairly low compared to long-term history. For example, the ageing demographic means there's less people working and productivity is disappointed now for the last 10 or 20 years. So if that continues, then longer-term growth prospects for those countries remain somewhere between 1.5% and, and, and 2%. Um, you know, and that means that central banks, that's one reason why central banks are almost certainly going to keep interest rates very low for some time to come, even if economic activity picks up, even if inflation um, picks up as as we are now seeing. So, so on that kind of demographic issue, this is challenging Guernsey as well, and all developed economies. Does that mean somehow increasing the working age population? Does that mean greater immigration? Does that mean encouraging uh, greater childbirth, for example? So, I think yeah, for for everyone, it, it it that's the case. So, so whether you're the US or whether you're China, for that matter, whether you're Guernsey. We all need to find ways to make sure that uh, we increase the working population, whether that's through childbirth in China, whether it's through encouraging um, females, older people back into that workforce or to stay in the workforce, um, or whether it's through immigration, and that's particularly relevant for us here in Guernsey, we need to increase and grow our workforce at the same time as we need to focus on ways to boost productivity growth, because that's the other key side of the element. And is technology the key to boost that productive growth? Technology is certainly one key. Uh, and if there's one thing we've all learned through post pandemic whether you're a company, whether you're an individual, uh, a consumer, a government, we've all learned to live, work smart uh, and you know spend our spare time smarter through the use of technology. So if anything, the technological revolution, which started some time ago, is accelerating post the pandemic and we're going to see and that's definitely going to be a big boost to productivity as an aside um, it's a one reason why there's downward pressure on prices and some longer term deflationary trends because when you have technological disruption it tends to replace labor for capital uh, and it and it boosts productivity and puts downward pressure on prices but that's a good a good side of it so technological is one thing but also for an island like guernsey one of the things that we 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 won't be benefiting from the same way that, say, the UK is. So, the, you know, even when interest rates are at zero, that helps us. Of course it does. But what the UK have done through the Bank of England is printed lots of money through quantitative easing, which we don't benefit from. Uh, the UK have also gone on, increased their, massively their fiscal spending through borrowing um, in the public markets uh, and increasing their, their deficit. And again, that's something which Guernsey hasn't yet chosen to go down that path. So 
you know, whereas the UK is benefiting from monetary policy and fiscal policy, um, we're benefiting from monetary policy, but even though we've got no control over it, but we're not benefiting from quantitative easing in the same way the UK is, nor have we yet embarked on or increased our, our deficit and, and spending. Do you think that's something we may need to do in Gandhi, Absolutely. To increase the deficit? I think we're going to need to, to borrow. I think we're going to need to take advantage, like Janet Yellen uh, at the Treasury has said and other central bankers, we're going to need to take advantage of once-in-generation low interest rates to borrow in order to invest in areas of our economy which are going to boost long-term productivity and growth and that includes technology and infrastructure spend for example so i guess the read across for, for globalized economies would be your transport networks and then localizing that again your transport networks yeah transport networks are absolutely vital you need to bring down the cost of getting to and from the island and getting things to and from the island freightage and, and everything else that's one way um technology definitely um connectivity is so important that we get better broadband connectivity across the whole the whole island. Um, we need to, government needs to, to support work with the private sector on this, some infrastructure spend, whereby we are investing locally in our economy to, to boost long-term growth, whether that's be through creating more housing, through creating more um, opportunities in industries like tourism, technology, finance, and other things. Uh, we need to use, try and use local labour and capital where we can to, to, to do that. Um, and so all of these things are, are very important for Guernsey and everywhere else is doing them. Um, you know, the, the US are leading the way in this. They've spent, so they talk about trillions, aren't they? Yeah, well, they, they've spent something like 25% of their GDP, their size of the economy, on fiscal spending in the last, or at least they've either spent it, was planned to spend it. Um, even Germany, which hitherto has been really fiscally frugal, has spent in excess of 10%, you know, on, on, on fiscally through borrowing, uh, and they've now got a deficit for the first time in, in a long time. The UK is similar amounts to that, if not a bit more. So everywhere, everywhere in the developed world is borrowing in order to spend and invest. The spending bit initially was focused on plugging the gap as, as consumers weren't able to work and people weren't able to work. So that was protecting business, protecting uh, workers and, and consumers during that initial lockdown period. From here on in, that spending is going to be focused on um, investing, boosting long-term productivity and growth, but also um, helping to plug that income inequality gap, which is, has been there for some time, but which again is getting worse. Because in this environment, with low interest rates and, and lots of money in the system, the wealthy are getting wealthier and the poor are getting poorer. So that income inequality gap is, is, is struggling. Now, in Guernsey, that's not such a big problem for us as in the US, but it's still a, a, a problem. So for all those reasons, governments are borrowing and investing, which we need to follow. One of the points you picked up there was around inflation and the risk of that rising, perhaps being a longer-term trend. Some of the commentary I've read recently is that perhaps the housing market in the UK is overheating. Perhaps there's a read across for Guernsey there uh, as food prices, other things in, inflating cost. Are you worried about the, uh, about the housing market in general? Do you think it's overheating? Do you think there could be a kind of boomerang effect? What, what, what's that kind of impact? So I think there's two key points here. So inf the inf whole inflation question is, is the most important topic for, for markets and for the global economy for the next five, five to ten years. And it's a long conversation, so maybe we'll pick that up separately in a moment. But with regards to the housing market, when you have... There's, there's a lot of money in the system. So 
despite the fact growth has been disappointing, the reality is since the financial crisis in 2008-9, interest rates have been near zero and central banks have been printing lots of money. And consumers haven't been spending it, they've been saving it or repaying debt. And because growth has been subdued, businesses haven't been investing in the same way. So there's a lot of money in the system sitting in bank deposits, in investments, in in other things. Um, When you have all that money in the system and you don't have enough growth, basically what tends to happen is you don't necessarily get price inflation where people are spending lots of money on consumer services or goods and companies are investing, you know, requiring lots of commodities and equipment. Although we are seeing a bit of that now, but you don't necessarily get that. What you do see is asset price inflation. So a lot of that money goes into stock markets, into bond markets, into houses and fine art and other, other assets. And that's really what we've seen for the last few years. And that's, that's one reason why the income inequality gap's got, got much worse. So definitely there is a risk that because central banks are going to be, because they're acutely aware of some of the longer term issues around demographics, high debt levels, subdued growth rates, um, global deflationary pressures as excess savings over demand and investment. These are putting, this is long term secular deflationary trends because central banks are acutely aware of this and also Governments are having to effectively fight three battles at the moment, COVID recovery, income inequality and climate change. Um, I think they're going to continue to keep interest rates near current levels for some time to come, even with rising activity. And they're also going to keep printing money and doing quantitative easing and finding other ways to keep interest rates, bond yields low and, and so on. So that means, therefore, that there's likely to continue to be an excess of surplus funds going into to financial assets, and that, that will include property. Uh, and there is a real risk here, of course. There's, there's lots of risks with the property bubble, as we've, as we've seen many times in the past. But one of them is, one of them is the fact that the, at some point, when that changes and if inflation does become a longer-term problem and interest rates have to go up, there'll be a lot of people that won't be able to afford their mortgages, for example. Uh, I mean, I can remember mortgages of 17, 18%, but most of this generation, the colleagues I work with, have really not known mortgages much above 3 or 4%. 4%. So if that, if that suddenly changes, then that's clearly a problem. At the same time, as if interest rates go up, that's a huge problem for lots of businesses who have borrowed very cheaply as well. But the second key area of housing we've got to worry about in Guernsey specifically, and the UK and others, is that how are we going to attract the immigration we need, skilled workers, whether it's teachers healthcare workers or finance workers um, or whatever it might be, how are we going to attract those people if, if, and how are we going to keep our young people if housing is completely unaffordable to start with? Not from, an, not from a mortgage point of view, but from a, a, a deposit and capital um, payment point of view. So we've got a real issue in Guernsey and I think it's, a, and Jersey is similar and I guess the UK is and it's going to be a real barrier to us being able to grow our economy and attract the immigration we need. Unless we can somehow find a way to build a lot more affordable, affordable housing. Um, it's, you know, on the one hand, obviously it, 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 it helps the economy when house prices are rising because it, it kind of creates wealth and that comfort factor and encourages people to spend on the other hand, um, you know, if you're going to attract people in and keep those people, you need to be able to make sure that, that they can live. And it's not just buying houses, it's a rental. It's a rental problem as, as well. You, you mentioned there about some interesting investment trends there. Uh, you know, fine wine, for example. What are, what are some of the investment trends? What are people putting their money in at the moment? And what's perhaps Ravenscroft 
suggesting people do or is it more responsive you know what, what, what's the kind of look uh, of the market at the moment so we across the range we've got lots of areas of our business but generally what people are wanting to do is um you know and it depends on your age and your risk profile and your objectives i.e whether it's income long-term growth um whether you're medium risk high risk low risk etc but generally speaking you know in this environment where you've got an economic recovery, lots of economic growth that generates decent corporate profits. Um, you've got interest rates near zero, you've got lots of money in the system, um, and you've got valuations which look reasonable in most areas. The best investment for most people long term will be to invest in stocks and shares in companies, basically, uh, in equities. That's going to be the best long term investment. Um, it has been historically for many times, even though there's periods where equities don't do so well. But within the long run, equities should generate you the best returns. And, and that that's even more so now with the current macroeconomic environment we find ourselves with. But people are also interested in investing in, in bonds. But in bonds, you have to be careful because if, if interest rates start to go up, then you know cash becomes a greater competitor for bonds, which offer a fixed rate of return. Therefore, bonds tend to do less well. Uh, so for those majority of the, for, for those people who worry about inflation becoming a longer term problem um bonds are much less attractive to them at, at this current point in time um if inflation does come come back into the system you would expect property and real assets um infrastructure type projects to do quite well um, they tend to do well in in that sort of rising inflation environment gold i think will do very well long term and is a good diversification portfolio um, gold does best basically when inflation is is rising, when the dollar is weak, in, when the dollar is weakening. Basically, um, that's when it tends to do best, or when there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. Gold has struggled a bit lately. It hasn't done as well as many people would have thought, and that I think that's largely because so much of the money that would normally go into gold has gone into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Um, but but I'm I'm a long term bull on gold, and I I just think it should be a sensible part of people's portfolios to a certain extent from a diversification and store of value type of view so and, and which markets are hot at the moment so to speak which international countries are hot to invest in is it europe or somewhere else so there has been a bit of a change in that it's it's not so much we don't tend to look at it from a country point of view at Razorcroft. we tend to look at it from a, a a thematic approach so for example for the last five years or so at Ravenscroft, we've, we've had firm views that there are certain themes happening globally which investors are going to take advantage of and which will generate superior returns for our investors. And those include the ageing demographic, um, together, which means that as, as people age and work longer and live longer, they tend to spend more on healthcare, for example, um, healthcare spend. And they also, so, so that's one factor. The second factor is technological revolution the um that's going on so everyone whether you're a government an individual or company having to spend more on technology so that that technolo technological companies obviously and, and that sector tend has tended to do very well a third factor has been the fact that as the wealth increases globally and that is increasing um more and more of that wealth is being concentrated in the faster growing economies which are largely based in asia and emerging markets for example and as i said before 
China and that part of the world comes out of this whole thing stronger than, than developed economies going forward. So as, as wealth increases, there's more consumption power in those economies. So companies, not just in that area, but developed economies, US, Europe, that can sell into that emerging consumer space um, do, do very well as well. Um, and generally, you know, consumer defensive stocks. As, as people have got more money and there's all this money in the system, they're going to spend more on, on not just luxury brand goods, but also your everyday defensive um, things that Unilever uh, sell and, and so on. Um, so those have been strong themes of us. And then another more recent theme has been the fact that the governments, one of the areas governments are going to increase spending is is this whole area around environmental challenges and climate change uh, and sustainable investing and everything else. So that's been another theme. So we have focused on those themes um, because they don't really, not, they don't depend on whether the US goes into recession um, through COVID um, or whether there's another banking crisis um, or whether we have a Middle East problem that causes the oil price to double. That, that those sorts of long-term themes are, are, are more predictable. They are long-term. We know that companies are going to do well on the back of that and they're less you know, susceptible to short-term factors that are very difficult to predict with any degree of certainty. Now, all of those themes come out of this but as strong, if not stronger. So I think the te technological spending accelerates from here on in. Um, for example, I think partly because of COVID and I think everyone now is going to spend even more on healthcare. Um, I think part of this exercise in the UK, for example, there's been a recognition in the UK and probably here as well, that there's been a massive underspending in NHS and that whole sector for so long, which has been part of the, the, the problem here. So I think we're, we're going to see even more spending in, in that space you know, going forward. What would be your final thought, so to speak, um, as we kind of finish up the, this, this edition of the podcast? What would be your final thought you'd want listeners to take away? So I think the final thought is that um, there's a lot of negative comment in the in the media and, and papers and it's true that that you know we've just been through a very very difficult 15 18 month period the world economy's never been through anything like this before where it's been forcibly shot down other than perhaps through a, a world war which is totally different um but generally speaking you know i think science is winning over uh, and obviously the vaccinations have been a fantastic game changer for everybody and for everybody's lives and that should continue to be the case moving forward um, I think the global economy is recovering fast. It's in pretty good shape. Um, I think, you know, um, governments and central banks are largely doing the right things to engender and foster continued economic activity and growth moving forward. I think there's an acknowledgement of some of the big issues out there, whether it's um, income inequality or whether it's climate change or whether it's the demographic problem of productivity, which is going to require some big investment in productivity boosting boosting areas so i think on the whole we're in a, you know we're in a pretty good shape um both the global economy and for markets but um you know i think there's there's always a number of challenges there's always plenty of reasons to worry uh, and i think there is one fundamental change here for most of the last um 30 40 years certainly most of my career you know, inflation, last time inflation peaked was in 1980, okay, 19, early 1980s, uh, having had a very strong run-up from 65 through to 80. Um, Reagan, Thatcher came in, um, you know, and then there was a very, 
a big increase in, in, in interest rates in the US and they really try to get to grips with, with inflation. So inflation and interest rates have pretty much been on a falling trend more or less since, since that, that time. And that's been good for assets, assets um, generally. I think if there's one thing we've, we've just got to be a bit cautious of is if we are, and, and in that time, in that period, what tended to happen was central banks weren't really focused on inflation. We, governments were spending lots of money and fiscal spending was, was the key theme. Um, so the US government in particular was spending lots of money. That was the dominant policy. Central banks were just accommodating that. For the last 40 years, since 1980, we've been, in a, we've been in a world where central banks have tended to focus on keeping inflation low and, and keeping employment growth strong through monetary policy. And governments have really been focused on trying not to spend too much money, get smaller, keep deficits to th- no worse than 3%. In good times, you build up some savings, you spend a bit less. In bad times, you step in when the, public, when the private sector drops, but you try and keep your deficits to sensible levels. For the first time since then, we're in that period where in the US, we've got both very strong fiscal spending and it's not just a short-term thing. Biden wants us to, to fight all these battles and do it long-term. At the same time, as central banks have been very accommodative. So that kind of takes us back to that, that area. And in that era, it wasn't great for a lot of it in the sense of high and rising inflation, three-day working week, lots of strikes, lots of shortages across goods and services. So I'm not saying we're going back there because today is very different to then in lots of different ways. But if um, governments and central banks have to be careful that that we you know that that it's we need a bit more inflation in the system because there's a lot of debt in the world and that's a big one of the big big issues. So we need stronger nominal growth, higher debt to inflate away this debt. But if inflation becomes too too endemic, too long term, it rises too quickly and becomes a has a psychological impact then that will dramatically alter the economic and market landscape that we've seen for the last 10 or 20 years. So that, that is a key risk from an economic point of view that we're, we're having to, to, to monitor. And then you've got the US-China, which is the other the key area. Uh, and that's a long-term issue. Hopefully everything works its way through the system peacefully uh, and without any major military impact, but the chances of some military conflict around Taiwan and that China Sea at some point in the next five to ten years is probably quite quite high. So again, that that geopolitical issue, in particular that U.S.-China aspect, is something else that we have to watch. But good picture. It, it, it's a strong picture economically. It's a good picture. Government central banks are largely doing the right things, but there are causes for concern. The world is changing a little bit. It is going to be different post-pandemic in many areas. Um, so we have to worry about that. But there's always reasons to worry. That was Kevin Bosher from investment services group Ravenscroft speaking to me in the first of a regular series of chats about the global economy and Guernsey's place in it. I'll be back in two weeks with another panel discussion exploring the big issues in local business. If you're enjoying the Guernsey Press business podcast, do make sure to hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast to get every episode delivered straight to you. As ever, you'll find all the latest local business news in the page of the Guernsey Press or online at guernseypress.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.